And so I wrote the word focus on the whiteboard because 1 Timothy 4, to me, when I read it, is Paul instructing his son in the Lord, Timothy, on where to keep your focus. The background of 1 Timothy is that Paul's in prison. Timothy is in Ephesus where Paul left him to help to oversee and set in order things in the church in Ephesus, and there's problems there. There's false teachers there. Paul has already said at the end of chapter one, I've turned these two guys over to Satan for teaching falsely. That's a pretty interesting thing, isn't it? He says the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter five, that the man who was living with his stepmother in open adultery and sin and wouldn't repent, Paul said that I've turned him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit might be saved in the day of Christ Jesus. That's pretty heavy duty stuff. Um, Can we do that today? Should we do that today? What do you think? My personal opinion is scripture, those are the only two examples in scripture, but I think that that was an authority that God gave to the apostles or uh, to Paul who founded those churches um, to be able to deal with issues there. There's, There's a lot of authority there. So, you, you know, when you're dying uh, of some disease, it makes you think about the choices that you've made and maybe you'll have a chance to repent and to turn away from that. Uh, so it's, it's interesting. So Timothy is in a situation where there's false teachers there. We're gonna see some of that. We've already seen some of it in chapter one, chapter three. In chapter four, again, he's going to mention it. Um, and we'll get a little feel for what some of that false teaching is. But I, I, there, there's several words and phrases in this chapter that explain to me what the focus of a man or woman of God, a servant of God should be in the midst of ministry. And so let's start reading and we'll take a couple of verses at a time. If you have a question for the wrestle, um, You can lift your hand, and I will recognize you when the time's right. Verse 1 of chapter 4 of uh, 1 Timothy, rather. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. There's going to be a massive apostasy at the end of the age, Scripture says, Some are gonna fall away from the faith. They're gonna turn away from the faith. And I want you to notice this next phrase because we're gonna see it again. It's paying attention. There's certain things that we shouldn't pay attention to and certain things that we should pay attention to. And he's telling us here in these first couple of verses that there are people who fall away from the faith. Why do they fall away from the faith? Because they're paying attention to deceitful spirits and to doctrines of demons. Interesting. How is that? Verse two, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So second word I wanna put down here is Conscience. 
Here's an interesting thing. Demons have teachings that they want to put out there and broadcast. And they also have those who will put them out there and broadcast them. Who are those people who will take doctrines of demons and spew them out? They're those who have, they're paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines and demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with the branding iron. So the people that are taking the doctrines and the teaching of the demons and spewing those things out and infecting people and making them toxic are ones who have seared their conscience. They have crossed the line. This is one of the important things for the focus for the people of God. Keep your conscience clear. Paul says multiple times, I endeavor always to live with a clear conscience. So we don't cross the line of violating what we know to be true and right. Because when we do, something happens. We begin to burn, because inside of us it tells us that's not right to do that, but if we want to rationalize that and override it, and if we keep overriding our conscience, eventually it gets seared and it becomes insensitive, and then we're open to the voice of demons. That's what happens. And if you go long enough, you can actually be the mouthpiece for a demon if you want to. You can be the mouthpiece for a demon by teaching false doctrine. So, Timothy, false teaching has come into the church in Ephesus, and the ones who are the mouthpiece of it are those who have seared their conscience. Their heart is hardened on some level, even though they're claiming to be servants of the Lord, and they are teaching what demons are teaching them. That's a little bit crazy, isn't it? The Lord has the gospel and the truth that he's teaching through those whose hearts are rightly aligned with him. And then the enemy sows into the church those whose conscience are seared and they will listen to the teaching of demons and spew it back out. In Acts chapter 20, Paul calls the elders of the church of Ephesus, this very church, and he tells them, I know that after I leave, there are going to be those who rise up among you, the elders, who are going to want to draw people to themselves, and they're going to teach perverse things in order to get people to draw to themselves. Because fantastic, extravagant, amazing, different than you've ever heard before sells. Crazy, flaky cells. It does. It still does. It always has. But it's those who have seared their conscience. And Paul said, they're liars. And they're hypocrites because they're playing a role that isn't real. They're claiming to be servants of Jesus and they're proclaiming his truth, but they're actually infecting and leading the church astray. There's doctrines of demons. Interesting. So we need to pay attention. The, the word pay attention there, the phrase pay attention, actually some commentators say that it has the sense of being addicted to something. Like you're, you're enamored by it. There's, have you ever encountered anyone where they're just enamored by some strange teaching and that's all they want to talk about? It's just, it's just the weird and the bizarre thing. It might be having to do with the end times or something else. That's what this is. There's just a certain drawing there, and it leads down a road where you don't want to go. Keeping a clear conscience is so important. If we violate our conscience, this is the reality, 
and we've all done it at times. What's the way to get your conscience sensitive again? Yeah, you, how do you spell relief? R-E-P-E-N-T, right? Repent, turn away from that, own it. I was wrong, that was wrong. Get your heart back clean again. If we continue to violate our conscience, we put ourselves in a place where we actually are open to the voice of demons and we can't discern between what is true and what is false. That's a scary place. That's why we need to be careful of keeping a good conscience. Paying attention, what we pay attention to is a big deal. Verse three through five, he kind of explains somewhat what the heresy is in Ephesus. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. So they're forbidding marriage. They're forbidding to eat certain kinds of food. So what kind of error would you say that 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 is? Categorize it for me. What is it? Legalism? Yeah, May, asceticism, if you're familiar with that word, is you know, abstain from things like that. What, what, is, what is the purpose of that kind of teaching? Or where does that road lead? When, when we're focused on our own dedication, oh, you're so dedicated, you, you don't get married, and you stay single your whole life, and you don't eat certain kinds of food, you don't eat whatever, what, what, where is the attention from that drawn? It's drawn to ourself, right? And if we focus, here's a reality, because I've been on this road, probably a lot of you have too. When I was an early zealous Christian, I was on this road a lot. I'm so dedicated. I'm really a lot more dedicated than you, aren't I? Like, I do this, and I, the, how about Luke 18? The Pharisee comes into the temple and says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. They, they just don't know, do they? I fast twice a week. I give 10% of everything that I've got. I make sure that I do all these right things. I'm not like that sinner. And the other one, the sinner, and, and it's interesting in that chapter of Luke 18, the Greek text says, he doesn't say, Lord, I'm a sinner. He says, Lord, I'm the sinner. I'm the sinner. Like, I'm the worst sinner that there is. And he's, have mercy on me, the sinner. And Jesus said, who walked away from that encounter justified? The one who tried to justify himself or the sinner who humbled himself and asked for mercy? That one so when we focus, there was a definitely a season in my life where I focused on my own commitment. This is what I do. I'm, I'm committed. I'm fasting. I'm praying. I'm, I'm memorizing scripture. I'm, I'm doing all these things. I'm going out every Friday night and doing street witnessing. I'm whatever. And not that any of those things are wrong, right? They're not wrong. But my focus was on doing those things. And where does... That road lead when we focus on our own commitment. If we're focusing on our own commitment, where does that road lead? It leads to one of two places. It leads to the pride of the Pharisee, 
of Luke 18, or it leads to despair because we fail and we can't do it and we can't live up to the standard and so we're beating ourselves up. Neither one of those roads is healthy or good. So focusing on our own commitment, we, there, there was a season in my life where the, the mantra was actually out of 2 Timothy 2.2 which says, committing unto the faithful who will also be able to teach others also. Great principle there, find those who are faithful, but like, we're the faithful, aren't we? We're the elite sort of Green Beret spiritual people. Other people just really don't get it. I have, (laughs) I'm ashamed of the pride that was in my life. I'm not saying there's not some left, but the Lord has whooped my butt quite a bit over that. I remember a time when I was at the laundromat. I was going to Southeastern, and um, I thought I was a pretty hot guy as far as Scripture goes. I was really sharp. And Anyway, I'm at the laundromat, and there's another student there, and we, a topic comes up, and he put his stuff out there, and I just ripped him to shreds with the Scripture. I was like, mm, and I just felt so walking away from that. And for real, the Holy Spirit said to me, just because you win an argument doesn't mean you're right at all. In fact, you're wrong. <laughs> I was like, excuse me? <laughs> this is me. There, there's an arrogance that God resists that looks good to men. And it leads to bad places. There's certainly you know, again, using my own life as an example, so many times in my life where I felt like I'm, I'm just, I really got it, don't I? And I'm ashamed and embarrassed of him. But the Lord in his mercy can even take the proud and humble them through hard work, through lots of fails, through lots of brokenness to where we finally get to the place where we go, no, actually, we suck. We're not good at all. We're not great at anything. We're not, we're not what we think. We have an image of ourselves that isn't true. And so the place of humility is always the place of safety. Keeping a clear conscience is always the place of safety. When we look in the mirror, we need to actually see the person that's real instead of the person that we want it to show follow what I'm saying? We, we can project an image of ourselves in our own mind of what we are, but ultimately the Lord helps us, and he doesn't beat us down. He's so patient. He's so amazingly patient. If the Lord hadn't been patient with me, yeah, I would have been snuffed out, honestly. He resists the proud. I felt him resist me so many times, especially in my business. I thought, you know, I started my business and with a friend of mine, and I just believe what my mama told me, that I could do anything that I set my mind to. But I didn't find out till later she lied. But um, with the best of intentions, trying to encourage me. But I knew the Lord resisted me in my business. And, and we had a prayer meeting. You may have heard me tell this before, but it's, it's been a marking time of my life. A lot of, a lot of things have been. But I... We, we couldn't make it. We couldn't make it. I, I would go, we'd work 60 hours a week and everything would go wrong. 
working as hard as we could, everything would go wrong. Diane can tell you, I'd come home, she'd go, baby, what happened today? I mean, something would happen. The trailer wasn't hooked on, and it would go right, go down Bartow Highway. Somebody didn't, one of the guys didn't hook the trailer on the trailer ball. He didn't latch it. And when they turned the corner there on 98, the trailer kept going straight right towards Publix. Boom, I had just gotten it fixed. It went right down in the ditch, bent the tongue of the trailer. I'm like, what in the world? How can you forget to latch the trailer on a trailer ball? Good grief. I mean, stuff like that happened constantly, and we were constantly losing money. I went 10 weeks, multiple times, 12 weeks one time with getting no pay. Made just enough money to pay the guys and pay the bills. That's it. And I'm like... What is going on here, Lord? We're praying for you to prosper. He's like, I have a bigger agenda. Pharisee. My agenda is that when you look in the mirror, you'll actually see reality. And then I can deal with you and I can do the things in you that I want to do. I remember at a prayer meeting. Saturday morning, we're praying. And um, I'm like, Lord, what? What am I doing? I don't want to be a businessman. I don't want to be an entrepreneur. I know you've called me to do ministry. What am I doing in this business? And the Spirit of the Lord, if he's ever spoken to me, he spoke clearly to me then. He said, this business is a monument to your own nothingness. Now you see what you can do without me. First three years in business, working 60 hours a week, I made a total gross for three years of $17,000. I was just rolling in it. (laughs) Now you see what you can do without me. He's calling out what he saw in my heart, what I refused to see myself. And it was the most merciful thing in the world for him to do that. And I will ever praise him for it. Keep a clear conscience. Keep a humble posture. Pay attention to what you're listening to and what you're looking at. So if our conscience is bad, we're open and liable to hearing the voice of demon spirits teaching. They're out there. They publish books that sell thousands of copies. It's a real thing. It's still happening. This wasn't just then. It's now. Paul said it was going to happen, even from the leadership in the church of Ephesus, and it happened. And he said, here, Timothy, you handle it. I know you can do it. I trust you. So Timothy's in this position. Timothy wasn't the pastor of the church at Ephesus. He was like an apostolic delegate there because Paul told him to set elders in, right? And these are the qualifications. So he was like the delegate or the appointed representative of Paul at the church of Ephesus. And he's trying to figure out how to navigate this stuff. So he's getting these letters from Paul from prison telling him how to navigate this. And listen, here's what you need to do. Be careful what you pay attention to. Keep your conscience clear. There's heresy out there. There's these people that are going to say, oh, you shouldn't get married because whatever reason. You're, you're more spiritual if you don't. You shouldn't eat these foods because you're more spiritual if you don't. And Paul's saying, don't pay attention to that. Down here, In chapter 14, he's going to use that same phrase twice. And in both of those cases, like we'll see, he's going to tell him, pay attention to the scripture. 
Pay attention to the truth of God. The way to overcome the deception and the teaching of demons is to feed upon the word of God and to immerse yourself and be saturated with the word of God. A huge emphasis in this chapter for Timothy and in the book of 2 Timothy, as you know, chapter 4 is one of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture to me. In light of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of God, and his judgment that's coming upon the whole world, Timothy, in light of these eternal realities that are so compelling, do this. Preach the word in season, out of season, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient. Preach the word for the time's going to come when they will not endure sound teaching. Question, why would you have to endure sound teaching? Because it hurts. <laughs> Sometimes it cuts, does it not? How has it been cut by the word of God? <gasps> I've been cut. Sometimes it's hard. Oh, I don't want to hear that. I just want to hear something positive. For real? Do we just want to hear something positive or do we want to hear the truth is the question. Because the truth, here, here's, here's John 8 and here's the way this works. It's three steps, it's not one. It's not you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. There's things before that. If you're truly my disciples, you will continue in my word. Because it's going to be hard to continue. It's going to be hard to hear some of the things that I have to say. Like in John chapter 8, he starts calling them out for their sin right away. And they go, what are you talking about? We're children of Abraham. He goes, no, if you were children of Abraham, then you would do what Abraham did. But actually, your father is the devil. He said to those Jews who believed in him. They believed on some level, oh Jesus, we love your miracles. We just love your miracles. We love what you do. It's just so powerful. Okay, if you really believe, here's the deal. We're going to call you out for your sin first. What sin? We're children of Abraham. No, you're actually children of the devil because you want to kill me. You're doing the deeds of your father and not the deeds of my father. Powerful confrontation from the Son of God. But here's the, here's, listen, here's the, here's the, the pathway. If you're truly my disciples, you'll continue in the word. Even when it's hard, you will hang in there. And then, if you continue, if you persevere in the word, even though it's so hard to hear, if you, if you hang tight, then you will know the truth. That's number two. And then the truth will set you free. So you can come up to the altar and I go, oh, the truth is going to set you free. I'll speak a scripture over you. And the Lord said, no, not really. If you continue in it, if you hold to it, even where it cuts you, even where it chafes you, then you'll know the truth and then it will set you free. It's not a magic rabbit's foot. We, we speak scripture over you and you're automatically free. That's not the way it works. There's a discipleship process that goes, Jesus, I hold to your word. I don't get it and I don't like it, but I hold to it because you said it. 
You have the words of eternal life. Where else will we go? I don't like that you said I need to eat your flesh and drink your blood. But where else are we going to go? Like you don't talk cannibalism to Jews. You don't do that. But you just did that. Now you're never going to be the president. Our whole scheme is blown up. We have egg on our face. We're embarrassed because you said that. But where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. He goes, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere. You're really my disciples. Even though you don't understand it, you're still going to go, I'm going to hold to that word. I'm going to continue in it. I'm going to continue to process it. You don't say, it can't mean that. You say, what does it mean? And I want it to process my life. So, verse 3, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has declared uh, God has created to be gratefully, this is, this is a big deal. You might not think it is. It's a big deal to God. I want to show you why. Gratefulness. He mentions it twice in this passage, and I want to look at it. For everything, verse 4, created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. Gratefulness is a big deal to the Lord. It's a really big deal. Because what it does is that if we're grateful for the things that he gives us, it's us acknowledging that he's actually more important than the thing that he gave us. Because at the root and the heart of fallenness of humanity is to worship the things that God has given instead of God himself. Look at Romans chapter one. This is such a powerful passage. I just wanna, I wanna read it while we're hanging around this idea of gratefulness because this theme is actually maybe more prominent in scripture than you have realized. It's, it's talked about much because this whole issue of gratefulness is huge. Romans one verse 18, I wanna read verses 18 to 25 and make some comments along the way. Here's what Romans 1.18 says. And Paul in Romans chapter 1, he's explaining why the gospel is needed for the whole world. He's explaining the gospel. This is why it's needed. For the wrath of God. He starts out with the wrath of God. That's not usually where we start out. But maybe Paul could learn something from us. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Catch that phrase, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. We all did that before we came to Jesus. I was a very skilled suppressor. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. How did he make it evident to them? Through their conscience, it's one of the ways he says in Romans 2.15 that their conscience will alternately condemn them or acquit them in the things that they've done. But that's, your conscience is going to go to the judgment because it is a register of the things that you knew but denied. And God's gonna go, right there you knew that suppressing the truth but we go what what 
He's going, nope. Men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. For since the creation, verse 20, of Romans 1. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. So the creation itself shouts, there's a God. This did not just happen. This pallet of bricks that fell off the back of a truck did not make a mansion. Like That's not what happened. God, there's a designer who created all this, and we intuitively know that. Even the scientists who deny it know it, and the Lord's gonna go, nope, you've put a blanket over this your whole life, but you knew. That's real. 21, even though they knew God in that respect, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. You, you see how all this flows together? It started with seeing things and not giving thanks. <coughs> it's going to the Grand Canyon and going, oh, isn't that amazing how that just happened? It's looking at the mountains and go, isn't that amazing how that just happened? It's looking at a baby's ear and going, isn't that amazing how that just happened uh, out of no reason? <clears throat> we see and we know, but do we give thanks? Because giving thanks is acknowledging your God and every good thing that is in this world and every good thing that is in my life I have and I see because you have given it to me. Like that is a thing that I like to say consistently in my life because it's true and it's so healthy. Lord, every good thing, including whatever gifts you've given me that I have, including my wife and my family and my children, including the material things that I have, did I work for them? Absolutely, but did I give them to myself? No. <clears throat> God gave me the strength physically, he gave me the favor with connections, he gave me the perseverance to just keep on keeping on even when it wasn't working. He gave me all those things as a gift. And for me to take ownership of that and go, you're not God, I really am. I gave myself these things. Is the height of arrogance, and it shows what our treasure is too. Because if we don't give thanks, and we take ownership like I got this for myself, I made myself this way, liar. It's the grace of God. Every good thing in our life that we have has come because God has given it to us as a gift. That's why the whole economy of God under Christ Jesus is the economy of grace. You've given this to me. And when we complain about things being so hard and why did this go wrong and that go wrong, and I get it. I've had a lot of things go wrong in my life, a lot. But the reality is I've never gotten what I deserved. 
Not one time. I've gotten extravagantly, exceedingly above and beyond anything that I could ever deserve. Because what I actually deserved is what you deserved, and that is hell. That is to be in the lake of fire where the smoke of our torment will ascend forever and ever before the throne of God. That's what we deserved. But that's not what we got. This is the amazing thing about grace. And grace for us should continually blow our mind. We should think about how God has dealt with us. But we don't focus on that usually, right? We focus on the things that are hard. And why did this happen? And why did that happen? Does it matter? If you have won the lottery, does it matter why there was a hole in your pocket and you lost a $5 bill? Who stinking cares? Perspective. The happiest people in the world are people that are grateful. How many of you have ever met a whiner who was a very happy person? You go, I want to be just like that whiner. I mean, isn't that compelling? Isn't that such a great testimony to their love for Jesus? Is that everything's gone wrong and the Lord has treated them poorly? No, he's washed us by his own blood from all of our sins and caused us to stand blameless before him in holiness and righteousness. What else can compare with that? I've got a flat tire on my car. For real. Gratefulness shows whether we understand the grace of God or not. Gratefulness shows whether we realize how profoundly gracious God has been to us. And so for all of us who sit in this room, who name the name of Jesus and our sins have been forgiven, we have reason to be profoundly grateful in spite of all the hardships of life. It's a real thing. They became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Notice this, I want you to catch this word. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. He's obviously talking about idols. And he's continuing to talk about idols. Idols aren't just images that are made. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged, words used twice, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And in the Greek it's actually they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. What is the lie? Say it louder if you want to. The, the what? Denying the Lord. Okay. I mean, it leads there. But I, I think in this context, the lie is this. That they're, the things that God has made are better than him. There's things that are better than God. That's the lie. 
God's not the best thing. He might supply us with good things, but he's not the best thing. Because we're going to exchange him. Lord, we're trading you in. We're trading you in for the lust of the flesh because we want to be sexually promiscuous and do whatever we want. We're trading you in for sexual pleasure. We're trading you in for other idols. We're trading you in for our stuff. We're trading you in for a promotion at work. We're trading you in for the trophy wife. We're trading you for whatever because the things that you have given are better than you. That's the lie. And the reality of being a grateful person and living grateful is we're shouting to God, you are the treasure. And it's not this thing that you've given me. It's not this steak that I'm eating. It's not this house that I live in. It's not this amazing wife that I have or these beautiful children that I have who is my treasure. It's you who give all of those things because every good thing ultimately comes from you. You're my treasure. I don't worship those things. I'm grateful for those things, acknowledging that they came from you and I didn't make them myself. That kind of heart stays free. That kind of heart keeps perspective in the midst of hardships and trials in life. And that kind of heart perseveres in the word of whatever Jesus says. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. You see it? They served the creature. They served sex. They served money. They serve fame, they serve position, they serve recognition and the praise of men rather than the creator. This is why gratefulness is so important. This is why we're told to pray in so many places with thanksgiving. Not because we're manipulating God. <laughs> like a little children are we trained to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, they say candy. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. No, no it's not like that. It's like because we recognize that he's the one who gives the answers to our prayer, that he's the one whose heart is moving towards us. If he didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Gratefulness is huge. It's huge in our walk with the Lord. Timothy, pay attention, not to demons, to the word. Keep your conscience clear and don't violate it. Be a grateful. Focus on these things. Even though there's false teachers, be grateful. Even though it's hard and you have to suffer, be grateful because none of that compares to what God has done and what he's going to do. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start preaching in a minute. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 4 again. All right, we're back at verse 5. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God in prayer. What is sanctified? The food. So what does that mean? What do you think that means? That's kind of a difficult phrase there. Do you think that that means that if we don't say grace over the food every time, it's not sanctified? No, I'm asking the question. What does that mean? That the, the, the food... Everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with gratitude. He's talking about foods here in verse three. For it is sanctified by the means of the word of God in prayer. What does that, what does that mean? You ever wrestle with that? 
Come on, do the wrestle. What does it mean? Anybody have an idea? Acceptable. What is it? Acceptable. Acceptable. Sanctified, is that what you're saying? <clears throat> well, sanctified means it's set apart. So, so here's, here's what I would say. Okay, this is difficult. What, what is he saying there? The word of God part, I think, means this. God in Genesis 1 declared everything he created to be good. Jesus in Mark 7 says that everything is clean now. It's clean. It's acceptable for you to eat. So, so the word of God has gone forth. What I made is good. There's nothing unclean in itself as far as food goes. It's good. I think that part is the word of God has been declared about the food, which these false teachers are saying, oh, no, you can't eat that. You can't eat that. He's like, no, it's okay. They've been declared clean by the word of God. And prayer, I think, to me, I think the idea is connected to this. We're praying with thanksgiving. We're saying, Lord, thank you. You have given us good food to eat. You have blessed us with this food. We're grateful to you. Thank you. There's something about that that sets apart the food. I don't think it means you're going to be poisoned. You're going to die of food poisoning if you don't do that. But I think that that's the idea behind it, that that sets it apart in the sense of saying, this is a gift from you, and I receive it as such. There's something that's beautiful to the Lord there. Verse six, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Constant, notice, he's he's gonna be talking about this again. Constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. So what's he telling Timothy to pay attention to? And he's gonna repeat it again a couple times as we go down through the chapter. The what? Pay attention to the word of God, to the scripture. That's where we should keep our focus. That's what keeps us safe. That's what keeps us aligned to the Lord. We feed on it. We're nourished by it. And when we do that, it helps us to discern what is true and what is false. So, verse seven, let's pick up the next thing that he tells Timothy to focus on. Discipline. How many love that word? No amen so far. Have nothing to do with worldly fables. Verse seven, fit only for old women. There's no, no shade being cast on being an older woman. Um, he's just saying th- these are not just silly myths. You, you're, you're focusing on something that has eternal truth in it. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So I want to write that word as well underneath it. And let's talk about these words and what they mean. Godliness. Discipline and godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Anybody know what? What is the Greek word for discipline? You don't know. It's okay. This is it. Gymnazo. 
What word does that sound like? Gymnasium? What do you think the idea behind gymnazo is? Exercise. Strenuous exercise, right? I knew a girl in high school who was an Olympic swimmer in my high school. She was trying to make the Olympics. She was a very good swimmer. And every day before school, she would be in the pool at 5 o'clock in the morning, and she would swim from 5 to 7 every morning before she came to school in class. Gymnazo. What is the goal? The purpose of godliness. What is godliness? Being like God. Okay, good. Good answer. Godliness has the idea behind it of being all in with the Lord, of having a life that is totally dedicated and devoted to him. So discipline yourself. What, what, what's, what's the response that comes out? That's just works, brother. That's just works. You're into works. Works. He says, say it with the right tone. Works. You're in the works. You're legalist. Works. No. There is an aspect for men and women of God of discipline. And Paul says that we will not get to the place that God has ordained us to be as far as our godliness and our devotion to God unless we have it. What, what, what is the place of effort in the Christian life? What is the place of effort in the Christian life? When, well, I think when God tells you to do something, then if you, you have to put the effort into obeying him. You have to, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult. Okay. So you're responding to the voice of God, to the direction of God. There's a response there. Okay. And what is the source of our effort that does discipline? What is it? Timothy, okay, this is 2 Timothy 2.1. Timothy, my son, be strong in the grace of that is in Christ Jesus. What is grace? It is what God freely gives to us and the effort that we put in to serving him and to becoming something is real, but the source is not from ourselves. It actually comes from him because at the end of the day, every good thing that we do and all the fruit that we produce, he gets the credit for because he actually did it. We said yes to it, but if he wouldn't have given us his grace to flow and work through us, we wouldn't have been able to do it. But if we don't say yes and we go, that just works, then we don't do anything. And do we get to this goal if we don't do this? If we don't put in the effort of seeking God in discipline and going to the gym, do we get to godliness? I heard an interview on the radio with Jim Ryan, who was the first man to break the four-minute mile. And in the interview, it was very revealing to me. 
he was asked, why do you think it took so long for somebody to break the four minute mile? Because once it was broken, then a whole host of people broke it. Now it's down, what, 350 something, 5150, I don't know, something like that. It's way down below that. And Jim Ryan said this. He said, because we weren't dedicated enough in our training. We only trained five days a week for three or four hours a day. Now they train seven days a week for seven or eight hours a day. Works! Works! No, it's not works. If God is saying it, and if he's empowering it, it's not works. It's not dead works. It's actually fruit of the Spirit of God working in our life. Here's the thing. If we don't have a goal of this, you, you know, you hear people say this, I, I wish I could play the guitar like that. Except you never have gotten one out. You just want it to be, whew. I wish that I could prophesy like that. I wish that I could preach like that. Yeah, but that's what you mean. I just want it to fall on me. Where it doesn't take any training, any gymnazo. It's just poof. It's magic. Just like, I wish God would provide for me, and you mean the magic mailbox. Where you go, oh my goodness, there's a thousand dollar check in my mailbox. It's not amazing. And And usually he says, I'm gonna give you this job. And you're going to sweat, and you're not going to like your coworkers, and it's okay. That's what the Lord said to me multiple times. Lord, I just don't want to do this anymore. And he says, it's okay, you're going to anyway. <laughs> because I'm not my own. That's part of this. It's the diligence of obedience and response that takes his grace in and actually responds to it and does it. How many think that that's super easy? How many think that grace is super easy? It's free, but there's a partnership that happens if we want to develop godliness, the depth of spiritual life in our lives. It takes effort We don't produce it. At the end of the day, only what's done by grace will have lasting power. But God says, my grace is available. Be strong in it. Be strong in it. Take it in. I will help you. It's okay. Discipline and godliness go together. It's by grace, so God gets the glory. But we get the benefit. It's a great, it's, it's genius. Grace is genius, for sure. All right, verses nine and 10. Go back. Here we go. Verse eight, for bodily discipline is only of little profit. Don't tell Matt that. <clears throat> But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. How is godliness good for this life? We know why it's good for the next life, right? Right? Why is it good for this life? Because it's good 
if you have peace in your home. It's good if your children love Jesus. It's good if your wife loves you. It's good if you can keep your job because you're not a jerk. It's good for all kinds of reasons. It's good because God blesses the hand of the diligent and those who stay with what he's given them to do, he will bless them. It's good for all kinds of reasons, but the greatest reason why it's good is because when we stand before him, we can hear the well done. That's, that's the reason why it's, it's great. Godliness is profitable. Verse nine and 10. Get, get ready to, to shout works. <clears throat> it's a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance. What is that? We don't have to do anything for his name's sake. He just does it all for us and we just go, oh, thank you, Jesus. No. Verse 10, for it is for this that we labor and strive. Here's, an, here's another nugget. The word strive is the Greek word Agonizomai. What does that sound like? That sounds like a picnic on Saturday morning. For this, we picnic and we feast and we just lay by the pool. That's what we do. No, maybe not. Maybe not. So listen to what Paul's saying. Timothy, listen. Here's the things that are going to get you where you want to go. And here's the things that are going to get you through the situation that is very difficult for you. You're a young man. There's false teachers there. You're trying to navigate it. I want to tell you what to focus on. Pay attention to the scripture. Keep your conscience clear. Live a grateful life before the Lord. Discipline yourself. Jim, go to the spiritual gym so that godliness will continue to grow in your life. And he's going to get to that concept in just a minute. In 2 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, he says, listen, here's the three examples that I want you to take hold of. Be a good soldier of Christ Jesus. For no soldier engaged in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life that he may please the one who enlisted him in service. So there's the dedication of a soldier who's when he's told to go into battle, even though it doesn't look good, he stays with it and he goes, right? He says this, be like a soldier. Be like an athlete because you know that no one in the games wins the prize unless they compete according to the rules. So you have to compete according to the rules and you have to be trained and ready for it. And be like the farmer who goes out early and he sows his seed when it's still dark. And he waits and when there's weeds he pulls them and when there's pests he kills them and he is diligent. Then he reaps the crop. That's the way, this is Paul. Timothy, that's what Ministry's like. It's like being a soldier. Don't, don't be distracted from what's going on. Don't be entangled in all kinds of, y'all, this is, the, this is one of the biggest curses and problems in our culture for us as believers. We're so distracted by so many things that pull us in every direction. He said, be like the soldier. You're not anything but a soldier. You do what the general tells you to do. That's what we do. Don't be distracted. Don't be entangled. 
You're like the athlete. You're training, training for this. You keep training. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing around you. Keep training. Keep disciplining yourself. Keep going to that word every day and let it be internalized inside of you to where it becomes alive and God himself is speaking to you through it and marking you. This is such a powerful thing that happens with the scripture. We have an amazing gift in the history of the church. So much of the history of the church, the scriptures were not allowed to be in the common language. And if they were, they killed you for it. Even in the 1600s, which isn't that long ago, there were people in the UK and in Europe who taught their children the Lord's Prayer in English. And the authorities in the church and in the country took them all, including the children, and burned them at the stake. That's not that long ago. And so the enemy has strived and striven, I guess is the word, to keep the word of God out of the hands of the people. Now we have it in abundance. We have it in English in an enormous number of translations. And what's the devil's strategy now? Be distracted by every other thing, everything else. He's got a strategy And that strategy, whether it's burning at the stake or whether it's distraction, is to keep this living word out of your life from producing the fruit that God knows it will produce and the devil knows it too. He knows it. And so his goal is to keep you out of the supply line so that that word cannot transform and change your life and you become a carrier of eternal life inside of you that you can impart to somebody else. I would tell the students at Maranatha all the time, I said, listen, if you don't wrestle with this word and own it for yourself with the Lord, if you're just a YouTube Christian and you just listen to what somebody else says and they spit into your head and you spit it back out of your head, it has no power. It's only when you own it in the presence of the Lord and he works it inside of you and it becomes alive that you can share it with power. You can read books. I love to read books. I have a lot of them and I read a lot. You can listen to messages. Great. But if it isn't alive and if we don't take the time to sit before the Lord and allow him to make that real inside of us, we can't really share it with life. That's the secret. Those go together. That's why they matter. It's so that we'll be ready in the moment and those things in us have marked us. The things that have marked our lives by the Spirit of God are the things that we can share with power and mark other people. Until we're marked ourselves, we can't be markers of other people. That's the reality. This is why it matters. Verse 12. How are we doing? Is everybody doing okay? Okay. Verse 12, or verse, let's look at verse 10, sorry, 11. Prescribe and teach these things. The word prescribe means command. Command and teach these things, Timothy. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. How old was Timothy? Anybody? No. Some, he was probably his early 30s. Paul first met Timothy in Acts chapter 16 when he was, he became a helper of Paul. We don't know exactly how old he was, probably was a teenager of some age, maybe a a later teen. And this was 
when he wrote 1 Timothy probably 15 years later. So maybe he was 30, 32, 34. He was young in that regard, but he'd been with Paul for a good 15 years. How many would like to do that? How many want to apprentice with Paul for 15 years? No, you might not. Because he'd be doing... The teacher would be going, how we doing? How we doing? Timothy, no, how we doing? Are you entangling yourself in the affairs of life? You're a soldier. Don't suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, right? Didn't he tell him that everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will just have a wonderful, flowery, lovely, and relaxing life? Whoever wants to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. Yeah, our theology of suffering is pretty weak in America. Unfortunately, on purpose, because we ignore. There's at least 50 passages in the New Testament that talk about suffering. At least 50. But we'll preach on the one word that's only in there one time. Like, because it sounds good, it's positive. Well, is being positive the best way to train a soldier and an athlete? The reality is it's going to be hard. So we need to be trained. So we need to hear the truth and go, look, if, you're, if you, wanna, you think you're going to go to the Olympics, but you're only going to swim on Saturday afternoon, you are deluding yourself. Not going to happen. You won't be able to compete with the others who are training every single day. That's the reality. We're running a race. We're not running it against each other. We're running a race that God has assigned to us, and we need to run it with all of our heart. We're not comparing with one another. That's foolishness, because we're not running the same race. But we are running a race, and we need to finish it well. And these things are not negotiable in anybody's race. They're part of what the race is all about. So don't let anybody look down on your youthfulness, but what do you need to do? Be an example. Be an example. People should be able to look at your life, Timothy, and say, now there's a dude who knows how to love well. He's a man of faith. He's a man of purity. He's a man whose speech is honorable and clear and powerful and true. His conduct is righteous. That's what that man is like. Even though you're younger than a lot of these people, Timothy, you may be 32 or 34, and the 15, 60-year-olds are looking at you like, mm, I don't know about this guy. Paul's saying, look, here's how you win them over. You live a life that actually demonstrates the reality of Jesus. Here's the truth. Our words can lie. Our perception in the mirror can lie. But our lives don't lie. That's why we're going to be judged by our lives at the end. All Christians are going to be judged by their works just like unbelievers. Except all of our sinful works are going to be washed under the blood but we're still going to be judged by our works. It's said multiple times in the New Testament. That's true. So it matters. Does it matter if we're diligent, if we're disciplined, if we're God? Absolutely. 
because we're going to give account. What did you do with the talents that I gave you? Oh, I was afraid, so I buried him. You wicked and lazy slave. Lazy. He's looking for fruit from the grace that he's sown into our life. So, be the example. Paul, you know these verses. Paul says, hey, follow my example. Follow the way that I live. Look at how I follow Jesus. And if you do the things that you see in me, this is what he said in Philippians 4.9, then the peace of God will be with you. For real? Yes. We should be able, here's, here's the thing. I'm not saying when we're brand new converts. If we're brand new converts, we're an example of how to repent. If we're brand new converts, we're an example of gratefulness for being rescued from hell. But if we've been around for a little while, our life should be an example of what it means to follow Jesus. And people should be able to look at us and say, I'm gonna follow you as you follow Christ. That's just a reality. It seems daunting, but it is the truth. And scripture says it multiple, at least six times Paul says that. Can you imagine saying that? You saying to somebody, if you just follow my example, then God's blessing and his peace is gonna be on your life. For real? Yeah, it's a little intimidating. All right, verse, we're we're getting near the, the runway here. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Timothy, turn your attention not to doctrines of demons, but turn your attention to the Scripture because this is the antidote to the deception that is in this age. Do not, verse 14, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Interesting, it's the only time in the New Testament this word presbytery is used like that. It's a singular word, and it means council of elders. It's a council of elders. The elders laid their hands on you, and there was prophetic gift that was imparted to you. Don't let that lay dormant. The gifts that God has put inside of us He says, don't let that lay dormant. In 2 Timothy, he says, rekindle the gift of God that is within you. Blow on it. Make it burst into flame again. There's a process that's part of this. It's part of that. It's part of the discipline. It's part of the gymnazo. How do we stir up the gift that's in us that's gone dormant? What is it? Exercise it. Absolutely. That's what we do in community. Exercise it. Can I tell you all, listen, there's nobody who operates in any spiritual gifts who hasn't made mistakes. I've made so many mistakes. But the Lord didn't condemn me for it. He said, you are a knucklehead, but I love you. And here's what needs to happen. That wasn't right. Here's the thing, the more saturated in scripture that we are, the more safety there is in the spiritual gifts that we give because everything gets filtered through that lens and it's not some wacky, crazy thing. That's the safe place. 
Give attention to the scripture. Don't neglect the spiritual gift that is in you lying dormant. Look at verse 15 and 16. Love these. These are powerful verses. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. Does that sound like this? How many like that? Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. This means that there's a focused attention for us to grow deeper in God. That's what this means. There should be a focused attention for us not to coast, but to keep pressing and growing deeper in God. That's what he's telling Timothy. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed so that your progress might be made evident to all. People should be able to see the progress of growth in our walk with Jesus, that we haven't been dormant and we're not the same that we were five or 10 years ago, or we're worse. Making progress. And then verse 16, we'll finish up with this. Pay, listen to this, <clears throat> so powerful. Pay close attention, Timothy, what, what do you need to do? Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. So when he says pay close attention to yourself, what do you think he's saying? What's the point of that? Yeah, to your life. To how you're living. Pay close attention to yourself. How are you actually living? Are you living a careless life? Honestly, if I had to characterize this current age in the West and in America, because that's really what I'm most familiar with, in, in the church, I would say that we are characterized largely by carelessness. We're careless. It's so easy for us to wallow in worldliness and do all this stuff. This is not a throwdown, y'all. This is not. It's just reality. Let's just be honest. It's true. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. How do I, how do I handle this? Am I actually handling this well? Am I drawing a straight line that represents God's truth right? Pay close attention to your life and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Persevere. Stick with it. It's one of the biggest words in the New Testament. Do you know in the letters to the seven churches, the characteristic that Jesus praised the most and demanded the most of everything in there is perseverance. It is the most emphasized point in the letters to the seven churches in Asia. Why is that? Because so much hinges on persevering. That's what disciples do. They persevere in the word. They persevere because they're soldiers. They persevere because they're athletes. They persevere because they're reaching and striving for the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that they may take hold of that for which he laid hold of them. There's a purpose for which God laid hold of you when he drew you out of the world to himself. He had a purpose in his mind. And when we stand before him, the reality is he's gonna go, did you reach that purpose? And we're gonna have to answer the question. It's not a beat down. This is an invitation. 
The grace of God is available for every single one of us to fulfill our calling and to finish our race well. It's available. We just need to, it's gonna take some of this. It's gonna take some of this, and it's gonna take some of this. But it's worth it. We're sowing into eternity. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you, listen to this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Whether we do this or not affects the eternal destiny of other people. That is weighty, but that's what he just said. If you persevere in these things, Timothy, in dealing with your life honestly, Look in the mirror and go, this is real in me. This isn't real in me. This is what I want to be real in me, but it isn't really real in me. Like, we need to have those kind of honest conversations with the Lord. Lord, I want this to be. I want people to think that I'm this, but it's really not true. Would you help me? There's a power in humility like that that releases grace for things to change in us. And God will do it. He's faithful that he will do it. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself. (laughs) Paul said that to Timothy. If you continue in these things, you're really going to be saved. For real? I thought I was your boy. Yes, and I'm telling you how to get in, and I'm telling you how to finish the race well, and not to be those who were deceived and didn't make it to the finish line. That's what I'm telling you. Persevere, be diligent. It's worth it. And you're not only gonna take yourself through that finish line, you're gonna take other people with you too. That's all of us. Our life matters. Our teaching matters. How we handle the word of God matters. And how we live before Jesus matters. It carries eternity with it. And it's powerful. Let's stand together and pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the encouraging and the correction of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the straight line and the straight edge of your word that helps us to line up with you and all that you desire. Lord, we want to finish our race well. We want to be those who can help carry others across the line. Help us to be carriers of your kingdom. Help us to be carriers of reality and of substance that will actually affect the eternal destiny of other people. Or we want to enter in with an abundant entrance into your kingdom. Would you help us? Would you draw us? Would you be asking for your conviction? We're asking for the grace to be diligent. We're asking for the grace to be godly. We're asking for the grace to be disciplined and to live a grateful life with a pure conscience before you so that we can be tools and instruments in your hand that will affect the eternal destiny of other people. Let it be so, Lord. Let it be so. We're so thankful for your holy word. Let it work in us. Father, and I pray for marking inside of our spirits even this night where we would not be the same we would be marked and stamped 
that we belong to you and that there's purpose and destiny and we're not done yet. I, I feel like the Lord is saying this to us who are in our older years. You're, you're not done yet. There's still much to do. There's still a race to run and a race to be won. Press in. Let not the season of the past distract you, whether by its beauties or by its difficulties. But take this moment of grace and lean into the grace of God and finish the race well. Break the ribbon with all of your heart and soul that you may have an abundant entrance opened up for you when you stand before your Lord. Thank you, Father. Let it be so in us. Let it be so in me, I pray. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry, or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.